Amen. If you would take your Bible then and turn to Titus chapter 1, once again, Titus chapter 1. Appreciate the music singing this morning. <clears throat> Titus chapter 1, and I'm going to start in verse 10. Titus 1, verse 10, with a conjunction, which really is really a continuation of the preceding verses um, of the elder, description of the elder. But verse 10 starts out, it says, For there are many unruler and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. This witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that it may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Under the pure, all things are pure, but under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient, and in every good work, reprobate. So the title of the message this morning is, The Correction of the Word, The Correction of the Word by the Man of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your privilege and opportunity we have to open your word. We thank you, Father, for that your word is relevant to our day and time. Though it was written thousands of years ago, yet... It is up to date and true today as it was then. So, Lord, as we look into the Word of God today, that we uh, allow the Spirit of God, who is the author of this book, to teach us and instruct us and challenge us, and uh, that you might be glorified and the Lord Jesus Christ be exalted and lifted up in our midst. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In our modern times, an age of supposed enlightenment, we have in our human wisdom abandoned some realities of life that are foundation to happiness and well-being of humanity. That time and test of truth is that correction is a prerequisite to a happy and contented life. Consider, if you will, Proverbs 29, 17. Correct thy son, and he shall give you what? Rest. Yea, he shall give delight unto thy soul. Psalm 94. We'll look at a few passages of Scripture here. Psalm 94, and verses 8 through 13. Psalm 94, and verses 8 through 13, it says, Understand you brutish, and really the word brutish means dumb or kind of stupid, you know, brutish. Among the people, and ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ear, shall he not hear? He that formed the eye, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall he not correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, O Lord, and teacheth him out of thy law. There's a, there's a correlation between chastening and teaching. Because you know, a lot of teaching is correction. 
that thou mayest give him rest in the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. So, again, the teaching, the chasing there talks about giving him rest for the days of adversity. Uh, of course, this corresponds with 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, or 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, where the Bible says, Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort. So there's two negatives and there's a positive. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. So, and the negatives, as you see there, the negatives come before the positive, just as correction precedes growth or brings about or precedes peace and rest. You know, in our world, we, we have this idea that we can build on faulty foundations, you know, that, that you can just let your child do whatever, world, whatever it wants and find itself, and somehow it's going to bring maturity and rest into their life and contentment. And that's just not true. Uh, of course, this goes along with Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 10. Jeremiah was told to, to, to tear down, to destroy, to, you know, it, there was like three or four negatives, and then there was two positives. Uh, this is why the Bible says you must be born again. You must have a new birth, not a makeover of the old. The old's faulty. The old's faulty. It's corrupt. It cannot be fixed. We need a new birth, not a makeover of the old. And here in Titus chapters 1, verses 10 through 15, uh, this, this talks about these things that needed corrected at the church at Creek, and, and I believe is very applicable in our age and time. And when we get to chapter 2, which will start next week, we're going to start building. You know, so he's really, what he's doing here in chapter 1, verses 10 through 16, is, is telling what's wrong and what you need to get rid of and how you need, this, this philosophy is all wrong. It's an exhortation of, you know, but chapter 2 is an exhortation of what to put on, but it's, a followed by a, it's followed by this reality check of what we are as sinful humanity. So the truth is, if we're not willing to accept the truth concerning our sin and our state, there will be no real putting on of the new man. Ephesians says you need to put off this and then put on this. Put off lying, speak every man truth, uh, so on and so forth. So, so this, this is what uh, needs to be done. The old must be first condemned, reckoned dead. And so we need to examine and identify sin, false doctrine as it relates to us and willing to depart from it. That's, that's what. So we see the disruption. The, the, the is that a new word? Um, I'm trying to put two words together here this morning. The corruption described in verses 10 through 12, and, and, he, and he describes it as this. There are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, The Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. And this witness is true. Now, I want to look at those words. The word unruly is also used in... Uh, speaking about children uh, in, uh, what is it, verse 6. Yeah, 
the end of verse 6 there, where it talks about children not accused of right or unruly. And the word unruly means that they cannot be subjected to control. They're disobedient. They're refractory. They're just out of control. And, and so he says that there's many unruly and vain deceivers. Uh, the, again, the, un, the word unruly is, is also uh, used as disobedient or not subject to authority. Now, vain, vain talkers and deceivers, vain talkers is an idle talker or one who utters empty, selfless, or senseless things. A deceiver, the deceivers, is a mind deceived. It's a deception. You know, and deception is a mind game. People use great sellings or sounding words. And, of course, Peter talks about great sounding words, uh, which, which false prophets will use. And, and, he, and, of course, the circumcision, when you speak about circumcision, he's referring to the Jews, particularly in this case. And, of course, there were Jews in the church, and these Jews were many times, some of these Jews were a constant problem of false doctrine or error coming into the church. In fact, look at, look at a couple places here, Acts chapter 11 and verse 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 11 and verse 2, and he says, <clears throat> and the apostle, verse 1, it says, And the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. So here Peter has taken the gospel to Cornelius and those that met with Cornelius at his house. They were all Gentiles. And this is the first really example that we have recorded in the Bible that the gospel was taken to the Gentiles. And, and so when he comes back to Jerusalem, you know, and Peter's a Jew. These Jews contend with him or criticize him because he took the gospel to the Gentiles. And so they, they were, they were uh, constantly contentious and, and causing problems. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul speaks of them in verses 12 through 14 when he says, For before that certain came from James, and here he's speaking about Peter, he did eat with the Gentiles, but when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision, and other Jews assembled likewise with them, with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with the dissimulation. But I was, when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I, I, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the man of the Gentiles, not as the, do as the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? And so... Peter, Paul says, look, they walk not upright according to the gospel. And so they were instrumental of bringing error into uh, the churches. And what is significant about this, when he speaks of the, the, the circumcision, it's, the, it's those of the circumcision that were most knowledgeable, knowledgeable of the scriptures in the day, in that day. I mean, they knew more of the, of the Bible. You know, the New Testament was not written yet at this point. And, and so, uh, well, some of it is being written. Now, what, when Paul was speaking of that, that in Galatians, much of it hadn't been written yet. So, but, and so most of what they had was the Old Testament Scriptures, and that's what a lot of they preached from, a lot of from the Old Testament Scriptures. You, you read Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, and much of it is Old Testament Scriptures. 
And so, but it was the Jews that were most knowledgeable of the Scriptures. They had the Scriptures. And yet, they're the ones that were often the cause of error in the churches. Paul said in Romans 10, 10 1 through 3, that they had a knowledge, but not according to... Uh, they had a zeal, I'm sorry. They had a zeal, but not according to knowledge. In other words, they didn't, they didn't have a right understanding or a right application of the Scriptures. They were zealous about the Scriptures. They said they had believed the Scriptures, and they were the people of the Scriptures, and you know, to them was given the oracles of God, but they didn't make right application of it. And so he says, these mouths must be stopped. And that simply means they need to be reduced to silence. And, of course, that's done by holding fast the faithful word. We see in verse 9. And, 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 but we go on, and it says that they, that they also subvert whole houses. That means to destroy or overthrow. And the, whole, the idea of whole houses is they, they corrupt, they destroy households, they destroy families and the churches with false doctrine, and they misuse and twist the scriptures for their own purpose or success. Because if you notice, read on, it says, subvert whole houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. You know, in our modern world, with the advent of the contemporary church. What's, what drives it? It's success. It's success. And, you know, a lot of that seed was sown with the, 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 the great, uh, you know, a lot of the soul-winning clinics were geared for success. That's what it was geared for. You know, much of it became contest, contest, tests, um, and so it was, it was, it was for, you know, when we think about filthy lucre, you know, really, you know, that, that's gain or advantage. And, and so, uh, this was the, this was the driving force behind all this. You know, the Jews, the Jews still felt themselves a notch above the Gentiles. Better. Wiser. You know. And, you know, if you think about it, we owe much of what we have in the Scriptures to the Jews. And by the way, Peter was a Jew. Paul was a Jew. John was a Jew. You know, Jude was a Jew. James was a Jew. You know, all these writers of the New Testament Scriptures were Jews. And so was our Lord Jesus. So we owe much to the Jews. But there were among those from the Jews who had knowledge of the Scriptures that corrupted it. And so, uh, so these had, were subverting whole houses. And he says they, these mouths must be stopped. They must be silenced. They must be silenced. You know, often it's not stated doctrines that divides. It's actually when you apply these doctrines to real life that people start to object, and sometimes it's painful. And sometimes that's why many will not repent and be saved. They cannot accept that they are guilty, they're wrong, or have offended God. You know, the, the doctrines of salvation, when you start saying, well, you, you need to repent of your sin, and all of a sudden it's like, ah, oh, wait a minute here, you know. I'm not willing to do that. 
It's painful to admit. And sometimes we believers don't want to accept the application of sound doctrine because it's painful or it's embarrassing. You know, I hate to admit for 30 years, you know, I didn't really understand a lot of this. And so, but we need to examine. You know, and, and an example of this is, uh, you know, we don't want to accept the truth sometimes. Uh, Andy Bishop, again, Andy Bishop in, a, uh, in his Ethics and Evangelism, he taught a class here, said this. He told, told, told a story, and he said, quote, A sister on deputation told my wife she had not been baptized since she got saved. She had made a profession some time ago and had been baptized. In time, her husband and she started on deputation, then she got saved. Her husband did not want her to tell anyone she had truly gotten saved. He was more concerned with what people would think than with the truth. He was going off as a missionary to tell others what they should do to please the Lord, and he and his own wife had not been honest about the thing. Sometimes believers will do anything to avoid pain, pain of self-reproach, pain of conviction of sin, pain of confessing sin, pain of rebuke, pain of being found less than perfect. Why do we do this? Well, 2 Corinthians 10, 12 says, We not dare make ourselves a number or compare ourselves to some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. It comes down to it, the truth is, suffer the pain for Christ's sake. He is worthy. Unquote. And so, you know, we have to face the truth. He goes on and describes them as liars. Verse, 13, verse 12, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. The word liar means one who breaks faith or a false, false or a faithless man. The word evil here means bad, injurious, distressing of the mind. And he calls them beasts. Wild, savage, ferocious. You know, sometimes when you confront people or leaders of false movements with the truth, they get ferocious. They will attack you, slander you. I remember Pastor Webb had written something to a uh, concerning somebody. I'm trying to remember who it was. It doesn't really matter, but and he got threatened with a lawsuit to be sued. Uh, I was the subject of a lawsuit myself one time. But, and so the, the, they become ferocious. They begin to judge your motives and, and hurt. And, 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 and really, who is hurting people? Anytime we teach a false doctrine, but leave parts of doctrine of salvation out of our witness, is that hurting people? You know, it, it could harden them to the truth. It can be very deceptive. They're described as slow bellies, and the word slow means inactive, lazy, idle gluttons. The word bellies has the idea of the stomach, a glutton gormandizer. Now, that word gormandizer means one who eats greedily, a man who is, it were, all stomach. In other words, he's concerned about his own passions, and that's it. They're busy satisfying their appetite for success to consider what the end result or long-time fruit is. Now, I heard a well-known evangelist, in fact, many of you knew, knew him, Dr. Chuck Coffey, say one time in a meeting that I was at years ago, and this is what he said. And, and uh, 
he said, many independent fundamental Baptist preachers, pastors, are too busy trying to win the world to take time to study the Word of God for effective preaching. And he said, evangelicals are skinning us alive because they will spend 15, 20 hours a message honing that message to feed their people. And too often, you know, we in independent Baptist movement, we're too busy winning souls and we feed people the same things over and over again. Salvation doctrines. That doesn't grow a stable, mature Christian. It's like giving a, adult Happy Meals every day. You know, my wife has said to me on occasion, you know, you need to take time to study. We don't want a, uh, um, what was the word she used? Uh, and it's true. A, 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 a bag of Doritos. You know, it's true. You know, if you just read a passage and start and let it rip from there without any explanation or application of life, what good is it? You, know, you can tell a person you must be born again, you must be saved. Okay, what does that mean? What does it really mean? What are the implications of that? You know, we believe the church is local. Okay, what does that mean in application? But, and so, you know, these are the things that, that are often left undone. When Jesus made application of what it meant to follow him, the rich young ruler turned and walked where? Away. Turned and walked away. Romans 16, verses 17 and 18, says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrines ye have learned, and avoid them. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, there's the slow belly's idea, their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So, so whatever is... You know, and the idea here is, you know, the own be- the, your own belly there in verse 18 means to be given up to the pleasures of the palate. So whatever is pleasing to you, as long as it works, if it gets the crowd, do it. But God says this philosophy and methodology is corrupt. It's evil. It's worldly. The second thing we see here, the correction given in verses 13 and 14. He says, this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, they may be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men. So the word rebuke means to expose, to confute, to prove to be false or invalid or defective. And the word rebuke, it says rebuke sharply. You add the word sharply, it means abruptly, severely, curtly. Uh, so this is to be this is to be rebuked. This is these philosophies that they may be sound in the faith. It says, uh, you know, this is required to be sound in the faith. Look at Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. 
and verses uh, 31 to 35. Mark chapter 3, verse 31 to 35. <clears throat> then came then there came then his brother and his mother and standing without sent unto him calling him and the multitude sat about him and they said unto him behold thy mother and thy brethren without seek for thee and he answered them saying who is my mother and my brethren and he looked round about on them which sat about him and said behold my mother and my brother for whosoever should do the will of God the same as my brother and my sister and my mother so, so he's, you know, there are those that are concerned about him. His, his mother and brethren were concerned about him at this point because his brethren did not believe on him until, at, it seems, at least till after the resurrection. You remember in John chapter 7, they told him to go up to a feast. And he said, well, you can go ahead and go up because your hour is already, but my hour is not yet come, and I go not up yet. You know, and, and really they, they chided with him about some of the things. So, so they really didn't believe in him. And, and so he's saying that really those that, uh, that are my brother and mother are those that do the will of God. Do the will of God. They're sound in faith. The word sound in faith means to be well, to be in good health. It's used of one whose Christian opinions are free from any admixture of error. You know, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16, the Bible there uses the word, oh, Peter says, we have not followed uh, 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1. And this is a parallel passage to this. 2 Peter 1 says, for we have not followed cunningly devised fables made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, cunningly devised fable, cunningly devised means to invent or play the and I'm not sure how to say this word, sophist. Um, and the word, that word actually means a professional teacher that, uh, to, a professional teacher to act a part. Uh, you know, feignest thyself. You act a part. That's the idea. And the word cunning means to be skilled or employed in a shrewd or slide manner Sly manner, as in deceiving, craftiness, or guile. So he says we're not to give heed, that we're to be sound in the faith, not giving heed to Jewish fables. A fable is a falsehood, something that is false, and, and these are Jewish. What falsehoods did the Jewish come up with to discredit the truth of the gospel? Well, they, they attempted. One of the things they did was attempt to deny that Jesus was the Christ. And then they attempted to deny the resurrection of Christ. So all this is really a denial of the deity or, or that Jesus is God. So that, and, and, of course, they falsified then the gospel. You know, there, there, it says there was many Jews believe, but they are zealous about the law of Moses. So they were, even those that believed were attempting to add works to the gospel. That corrupts it. That corrupts it. By saying you must be circumcised. Have we added works to the gospel? By praying? A prayer? Isn't prayer a work? Again, in his ethics and evangelism class, Brother Bishop said this, quote, Mere professions don't glorify Christ. 
Your calling is to lead the lost to Christ, not lead them in prayer. God is not pleased with your powers of persuasion. Christ is not exalted by mere words, but rather words from an understanding heart. Leading people to prayer is much easier easier than leading them to Christ. Be honest. John 3.3, Jesus answered, said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. A cross-reference is 1 Corinthians 4.19.20, But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word. It's not in your power of persuasion. It's not in word, but in power. From whence comes our power? Our prayer. Don't allow yourself to be filled with a program. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Unquote. See, Prayer is something we are commanded to do of the Lord. It's a command that God gives us. You know, salvation is simply by receiving the word of God concerning his son, Jesus Christ, and the salvation that he has purchased for us. You know, in Acts chapter 8, you know, it's, it's a surrender. It's, it's, it's come to repent and believe. It's a surrender to the will, to will of the will to the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in Acts chapter 8, verse 37, what did the, the, the Ethiopians say? And he didn't pray. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And by saying that, he was, he was submitting himself to the authority of the Son of God. That Jesus was God, the Son. Acts chapter 13, or 16, verse 32 to 34 uh, again, the, the uh, Philippian uh, jailer, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 32, says, They spake unto him the word of the Lord, and to all that were in his house. And, and, he, and he took them the same hour of the night, and washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight way. And when he had brought him them into his house, he sat meet before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So he was believing, he believed everything he was told concerning Jesus Christ. Not just what's in verse 31. Now, this is this is a you know this, you know, for many years I was confused about this but you know he believed everything he was told not just verse 31 but oftentimes verse 31 is held out say this is the gospel this is all that he believed no it isn't no it isn't see what we've done is we've taken the the liberty use passages we like and established doctrines instead of taking the whole counts of god i'm going to talk more about that this afternoon but and particularly about salvation you know, we, 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 we put our emphasis on verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in thy house. But we kind of ignore verse 32 where it says, And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. And to all that were in his house. You go to Acts chapter 2, in verse 38. Peter says in verse 38, That you need to repent and be baptized. That's wonderful. But we kind of forget what verse 40 says. 
Because it says, and with many other words. Many other words. See, the point is, no passage of Scripture records all that is necessary concerning any doctrine in the Bible. Not even the doctrine of salvation. The Bible is meant to be studied. Scripture compared with Scripture. No prophecies of any private interpretation. But we have turned the doctrine of salvation into a four or five course like a Happy Meal presentation. This is what I was trained to do. You know, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. You know, wages of sin is death, so on and so forth. You know, you know, the, you know the, the drill. And then when you receive Christ, and if you will, then pray after me. But there's no examples of that really in the Bible. See, there's a couple questions we need to ask. Who is Jesus? What is sin? Who is sin against? What does it mean to repent? Why do I need to repent? Is Jesus the only acceptable sacrifice for sin? You know, if you aren't careful in many parts of the world, in fact, even in our, our, our world today in America, if, if people have multiples of way, multitudes of ways they believe they can get to God, and Jesus is just another one to add to that list. Now, all these are addressed in the Bible concerning salvation, but we need to have an understanding of all of those passages, not just isolated ones, to present a clear salvation presentation. Consider, if you will, Peter's sermon on Pentecost. How long did it last? Is all that Peter said what is written? Not likely. You know, it does say with many other words. He testified and witnessed to them, verse 40. You know, it could have lasted hours. I mean, Nehemiah chapter 8, Ezra taught the scriptures from morning to midday while they stood in the rain. While they stood in the rain. And so I'm, I'm going to elaborate on this this afternoon, but... but you know, so we need to, we need to, but what we have done is we've, we've had these teachers who, uh, with cunningly devised skill, who, who claim to be great teachers of, of, of winning people to, to Christ and the multitudes and all this, and they have this cunningly devised plan that seems to work, that gets professions. But it's not how John the Baptist did it. It's not how Jesus did it. It's not how Peter did it. It's not how Paul did it. And the fruit has been many professions without Christian living. And, and so the Bible calls it corrupt. Corrupt. You know, look at the contemporary church movement. You know, Bill Hybels and them started, started the Willow Creek and all that, and, and they just thought they were going to use, uh, use worldly methods to get people in the church. And their goal was, and this was written several years ago, about how they were disappointed that their plan didn't work as they, they thought it would. They thought if they get people to come to church, then they could disciple them. 
problem is you can't disciple an unconverted person. But they were, finally, they were dismayed the fact that they couldn't get them to stay. Once the programs ran out and the excitement and the carnival and all that was gone, they, they wouldn't stay. And, and I believe this is the modern application of what he's saying here, that they've de- devised these cunning things that we need to be aware of. And then I want you to notice, finally, last, the contamination of corrupt doctrine. Notice what it does in verse 15 and 16. Under the pure, all things are pure. But under them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. They profess they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient unto every good work reprobate. Now, the word pure means in the similitude, like a vine cleansed by pruning, so fitted to bear fruit. Uh, in most nature, has been renovated. You know, it, it's, it speaks of cleansing from every several fault uh, which he, a person may fall through contact with the unrenewed world. So in Levitical sense, it's the, it's the use of that which is not forbidden. In other words, it imparts no uncleanness. So the, what he's saying here, these philosophies of men defile everything else in their life. Think about it. A wrong message of salvation will defile growth or make growth as a Christian impossible. It will corrupt it. So, unto the pure all things are, but unto the they that are def, unto them that are defiled, and unbelieving is nothing pure. It was Gary Forney that I heard say this quote: "You cannot disciple an unconverted quote unquote Christian." Like many of us, Brother Forney, when he went to the Arctic, he got many professions. He got many professions. I mean, quickly. He got many professions. But he couldn't teach them. They would not be discipled. And as a wise man, he began to examine, what am I doing wrong? Why, are they, why will they not be discipled? And he realized that the easy believism that he was practicing, that he had been taught, created a lot of false professions. Now, and, and so he changed his methodology. He changed his, his message to biblical repentance. He got fewer converts. A lot fewer converts. It took longer to get a convert. But he began to see evident fruit of the life of God by changed lives. But it took longer. It was harder work. You know, so often we excuse ourselves with, well, they got saved, but they just don't live for the Lord. No. No. You know, in the Bible, if you, if you study the Bible, in the scriptures, if you did not follow the Lord, really what you're considered is lost. Considered lost. In fact, look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24. Matthew 6 and verse 24. 
Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. John ten twenty seven. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. 1 John 2.15 1 John 2.15 Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. See, there ought to be a change of the will... If, if there's true salvation, there'll be a change of the will. We're not talking about sinless perfection. There's no such thing this side of glory, but we are talking about a life that demonstrates a change. A, a changed will. You know, so when you are confronted with truth, which sets you free, which gives you liberty, but if, it, if, if, if you're defiled... That truth will become more bondage because you gauge it by your flesh. And so you say, oh, I didn't sign up for that. And that's what, you know, Bill Hybels and them were referring to when they said, you know, we thought once we got them into the church that we could disciple them. But when we got them into the church and started trying to disciple them, all of a sudden they said, ah, no, I don't want that. And they turned around and left. See, the gospel then, and the truths of the word of God become a burden to you to bear, not a joy to embrace and express to a lost and dying world. So what God means for you as a blessing becomes in your mind a curse. Because the message of God that has been given to you was defiled. And it becomes an endless duty to bear, a hardship to enjoy, endure, a burden to carry. And so, that's why he says, you know, he's talking about these who, who, who proclaim this false gospel or this unpure or adulterated truths of the word of God, that they're defiled, and he said, and that to them nothing is pure. Nothing is right. They will not accept it. And the truth of the words of God become bondage to your own selfish way of thinking. And so, you know, we must hold fast. That's why he says in verse 9, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught. As we've been taught from the scriptures. You know, the foundation for true gospel preaching and for establishing churches is the doctrines of Christ and the apostles and what they taught. Not what modern teachers are teaching. And they taught a salvation that was involved repentance, Involved a changed life. And so those are the things that we must hold fast to.
we must be aware of. But we need to correct our own lives and learn to examine and help others if they're willing to be helped. And so we ought to receive the correction lest we be defiled and unbelieving of the truth that God has set forth in his word. You know, a rejection of the truth, again, leaves you in bondage. Jesus said, ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. As Brother Chris said in Sunday school class this morning, you know, God is a God of freedom. God is a God of liberty. The truth sets us free. We have power to make choices. We need to make the right choices. Because if we make the wrong choices, it will defile our lives. If we're seeing wrong Things that are, if we receive error into our lives, it's going to defile our entire Christian experience. And so we ought to receive the correction of the Word of God. 